the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare from Briefing.com, talking finances, investing, retirement, whatever else might be on the board. How are you doing, Mr. O'Hare? Hi, Rob. I'm doing well, thank you. So we're really moving into the final parts of the year as we get into October, November, December. And uh, how do you feel about the year, all things considered? Well, all things considered, I'd say that uh, the year has unfolded uh, from a performance standpoint better than probably it has a right to. Um, you know, one of the themes I've been emphasizing in my big picture column is that uh, this market has been driven in large part by money flows more so than fundamentals. And the you know main supporting point there is knowing that you've got the major indices having you know all established um, record highs this year uh, right on the heels of quarterly earnings declining year over year for six straight quarters so um, you know what has helped uh, in this regard is that you've had long-term rates stay low stay very low and while you've had a hiccup here and there of late um, they still remain quite low historically speaking and uh, and so you you continue to get money managers and traders and the like that are, you know, playing this theme of uh, the central bank put for all it's worth and, if, you know, and effectively trying to seek higher yields in the equity market than they can get in the treasury market. And as long as those long-term interest rates continue to stay uh, repressed, it seems like it's a, a trade that uh, continues to work. So looking at 2017, and I, it's probably a little bit too early to start thinking about the next 12 months after the next three months, um, are we set up for a pullback? Are we set up for a recession, more of the same, of muddling through? Will we see fiscal policy replace monetary policy? Any predictions that you want to start uh, laying down sooner rather than later? Well, I... I probably could have added in that last little bit that I think, you know, one of the sustaining influences here is this this ongoing belief that, you know, things will look better six months down the road as it relates to okay. economic growth and earnings growth. You know, right now we have a market that is, uh, you know, sitting there with some stretched valuations and you need earnings to pick up uh, to take away some of those concerns, really. And, and part of the reason why the market's able to hold up in here despite the weak earnings is this 
underlying belief that the earnings growth will materialize in 2017, and, and so the valuations we see today may not look so bad, um, all things considered. So, you know, I think that the, there is a case that can be made that you should see better earnings growth in 2017 just because you, you know, are facing some easier comparisons there. Okay. Um, and that, you know, could ultimately be a good thing, but I suspect since you're starting, you know, from a starting point of high valuation right now, um, it could be difficult in 2017 to log some material gains, um, you know, the double-digit variety, uh, certainly if you don't see that earnings growth materialize. But, you know, as we've seen this year, if long-term rates can stay down uh, and there's still a, um, a belief in the central bank put, um, then the market can stay elevated here uh, for reasons that are not based so much on fundamentals as they are based on money flows. So I start my morning every day by hitting your page one. This morning you brought up Deutsche Bank being a problem, oil prices being a problem, World Trade Organization being a problem. Uh, with all these problems, it seems like the fundamentals are negative, whereas, again, the monetary policy is positive. Um, is it rock, scissors, paper? Does monetary policy always win? <laughs> well, what's the adage? You don't fight the Fed, I guess. Right. Um, That's fair enough. You know, um, I guess it's, it's rang true again here. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, leading up to that FOMC meeting, uh, you did see a little fight in the market, though, um, you know, based on this notion that central banks, not just the Federal Reserve, but the ECB and the Bank of Japan in particular, you know, have, uh, you know, perhaps reached the limits of their, their monetary policy. Uh, and that's a, a, a disconcerting view because um, part of that, you know, policy effort has been you know, maintaining control of the yield curve really at the front end and then also using the quantitative easing to keep rates down at the long end. And, um, so you don't want these central banks to lose control of that yield curve. Um, and uh, and so we're at a, a really interesting, uh, I think, inflection point here as to whether um, – there can be a successful handoff to the fiscal side of things or whether the market can really uh, you know, regroup here and, and place its full faith and credit again in these central banks and, and what they're doing. So uh, it, I guess the you know, long story short is that in, in the midst of an environment like that, you probably see this continued back and forth that you've got going on, that we've had going on here as far as the market's uh, feelings about policy, uh, you know, it's it's wavering on the timing of rate hikes and what they might ultimately mean because, you know, the data, the incoming data has been somewhat, you know, inconsistent where it might be strong one quarter and not so great the next quarter. And so it's it's hard to really get a feel for, you know, where things are going to ultimately break. And when you're at a, at a starting point of high valuation, uh, you don't get a lot of conviction, I think. Uh, and uh, and so you see the choppiness that we've had and some of the relatively narrow trading ranges that we've had for, for a while here. This all feels pretty heavy as far as conversations goes. Is there anything light and fun in the markets that you see? Like, I like sure. doing stories about, will Twitter be bought or not? Um, are they a media company or a tech company? Is there anything fun going on out there? Well, some fun going on is watching the presidential debate. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's clear really winner last night, right? That's, that's really entertaining. I think the only uh, undisputed uh, winner out of that debate last night was the, the writers at Saturday Night Live. So I can't wait to see what's coming, <laughs> what's coming from them. But uh, all kidding aside, you know, they're, you know, sure, you know, the market, you get, you know, news every day, obviously. Uh, and there's some interesting, you know, stories, and the Twitter one that you're talking about has, has you know, caught some attention. Um, but, you know, I, I don't look at things, uh, quite honestly, from such a, a micro level in that respect. Um, I take kind of like the whole pie into consideration there as it relates to M&A activity and, you know, what we're seeing. And, and we're still seeing these deals go off at, you know, some pretty good-sized premiums. All right, um, and you know, and that's uh, something that I think also helps uh, keep uh, keeps wetting the appetite of buyers here uh, because it's when you get these deals that go off at hefty premiums, it does create this notion that you know maybe the maybe there is some uh, undiscovered value or more value in the market than what uh, one might be seeing in just this um, overarching PE multiple for the S and P 500, and so. Um, so that's always interesting to me, you know, as far as how these deals are going down. You know, are they all cash? Are they a combination of cash and stock? And, you know, and what type of premium are companies still willing to pay, uh, particularly when they're using just uh, all cash? So <clears throat> taking a look at the markets and, you know, some of the other issues that are going on out there, um, the IPO market, do you feel – I look at the IPO market. I live in San Francisco, and one of the things that I see is a lot of IPOs like Uber and Lyft. They're not IPOs yet, but they're solving not real economic problems. They're kind of like making life more convenient. Um, Amazon Prime makes life more convenient. Do we have an economy that's that's geared for the next 10, 20, 30 years that's going to be robust and, and adding some GDP to us, or are we just setting ourselves up to be living in kind of a utopian society where companies just make things easier for us yeah uh it's a hard question to answer rob look i mean like do you look at do you look at the ipo market different do you look at the ipo market to see what where we are Mm -hmm. well it seems like you know in the seat i sit in the only thing that tends to excite the market you know relates to ipos or are those that come out of silicon valley um and what comes out of silicon valley often is are disruptive companies, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Necessarily. And they're just mm-hmm. companies that uh, are kind of shaking things up, um, you know, for better, and I guess in many situations, making life easier. Um, but uh, but it's an interesting dynamic here when you see the, uh, the the growing influence of technological advances on our economy um, and how it's, I think, helping to prices down in some respects, but it's also, I think, leading to some displacement of human capital. Uh, and that's going to be a major issue, I think, as it relates to the next 10 or 20 years, is how does our economy adjust uh, with the growing influence of technology uh, in our economy and, and what it could potentially do to upset this equation of using human capital to, you know, in the in production lines and, and in, even in services, really. So you're starting to see, uh, I mean, even in the, you know, journalism industry, you know, you've got uh, technology that effectively writes articles, um, which is a really interesting uh, development. But, uh, 
but doesn't bode well for you know journalism majors, I suppose. But so, but that's really the, the thing that I think that we're going to have to be taking close stock of over in the next ten or twenty years is you know just how do we adjust um, in the name of you know advanced technology. They're going to get a robot for you sooner than later. They're going to get a robot for me sooner than later. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. It is the best way to start your financial day, starting with his page one column and ending uh, the week with his big picture. You can find out more at Briefing.com. That's Briefing.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.